So now we'll start uh, engaging with the second of our chariot teachings, which is going to involve the teaching of not self. But before I, um, before we get to the actual sutta, um, I want to give you an experiential uh, taste of what we're pointing toward since this is primarily an afternoon of practice. So we're gonna do a short guided meditation uh, on the four elements, the aim of which, you know, the, the practice of the elements, which is in the Satipatthana Sutta, is uh, that one will eventually have the insight into not self. It's understood to be the thrust of that practice. So again, let's settle in, we'll sit for 20 to 25 minutes, medium length. And just allowing your eyes to close and finding a comfortable body posture. Again, connecting into the sense of the body sitting perhaps through the touch points of the seat against the cushion or chair, feet against the floor, maybe the hands are against the legs. So just knowing that you're sitting in an easy, natural way. And perhaps taking a couple of breaths to encourage on the out breath, the softening of the body around the upright spine. And as we breathe, we may Encourage the breath to flow into all the different parts of the body, all the way up into the head, all the way down to the hands, down through the lower body, all the way to the feet. Meditation we're doing will be focused on sensations of the body. So bringing into awareness now, the aspect of the body that feels substantial, solid, the body has some heft to it, some mass. And we feel that through the pressure against the chair, through the structure of the body, sitting upright, we know that the bones are supporting us. 
So there are aspects of the body that feel hard or solid. Dense. And just tuning into that part of the bodily experience. This is called the earth element. It's not so much that it's a physical element, but that it's an experience. Part of the bodily experience is this solidity, hardness. And with attention, we can just tune into that aspect. So sensing that this is quite a fundamental part of our body. And then we can also know that the experience of hardness is actually all around us in our life. You can feel it in the chair that you're sitting on. It's hard against the bones of your buttocks. We know that the table is hard, the computer is hard. There are many solid things. The solidity of the body, the earth element internally is no different from this other kind of hardness, the earth element externally. It's all just earth element. There's this commonality between the body and the physical world. Nothing personal about your earth element. It's the same as all the rest. And there are other dimensions of the bodily experience. We'll go through four. Second one is sense of fluidity or liquidity felt directly in the saliva. Mouth is easy to feel. It's also present in the eyes or if there's any sweat. 
the experience of liquid in the body, the water element. The water element is also about cohesion. When we go to the beach, the sand is powdery, doesn't hang together very well, far from the ocean. But as we get closer, there's a place where the sand is wet. And there we can suddenly walk more easily. The water binds the sand. In the same way, the body is bound, made cohesive because it's wet as liquid holding it together. This is something we can also tune into experientially sense of connection of everything in the body through this fluid. The water element. We know from experience that there's water element externally. We drink liquid every day. We use it for washing. It might be raining. or if we live near a river or the ocean. It's all just water element, really no different from the water in the body. The internal and the external water element are the same. Another dimension of the experience of the body is the sense of heat or coolness. There's warmth in the body. This is the fire element. It's 
particularly easy to feel in the core of the body, in the belly or the chest. We might also feel it in the hands or feet. Or if we feel coolness, like on the skin surface, it's an absence of a fire element. It's a quality of the body that it has a temperature. And more metaphorically, this fire element is related to our combustion of the food that we eat and to the aging process. We are slowly cooking. There's also the external fire element. The warmth of the heater. The wood stove. The gas. Range. The warmth of the sun. All these kinds of heat and temperature and energy exchange are part of the external fire element. And we need it. It's not the right temperature. We can't live well. It's no different, the internal and the external fire element are the same. Warmth and coldness are the same everywhere.
We have the solidity, the liquidity, the heat. And the fourth aspect of bodily experience is that there is some motion, some flow, some movement. This is the air element. We feel it most prominently in the breath, coming in and out. But also the subtle vibratory energy of being alive. And even the movement of muscles is animation is part of the air element. But we may focus for a moment on the breath coming in, going out, flowing throughout the body. And externally too, there are these flows, particularly of air, there's wind, storms, tornadoes, all the time we see leaves giving evidence of the shift of the air element. really no different, blowing of the wind and the drawing in of the breath. There's nothing personal about the oxygen once it comes into your lungs. So we can rest in the material body, 
is consisting of these four sub-experiences, solidity, liquidity, heat and motion, earth, water, fire, air. Maybe there isn't any real boundary between those and all of those things around you. The body is a process of nature. Letting the boundaries of the body soften. So one way to view the body is as these four elements that are experiential, experiential feelings. And then there's, um, we can broaden out, we can say, well, what about the mind? And um, the Buddha also talked about a a way to experience the, the mind as just some processes also. So there's the 
in this uh, scheme, I'm going to talk about the five aggregates and uh, the body is one of them. And then the other four are about the mind. This term aggregates uh, is really uh, just meant to be kind of a collection of experiences, you know. Um, we have a collection of experiences that are the body, and I talked about them in terms of the elements. And then there are also collection, a collection called feeling. That's not really emotions, but it's feeling tone, whether things feel pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. That's another aspect of our whole body-mind experience. We also have perception, our ability to label the experiences that come in, to know what something is when you hear a bird or taste a pickle, you know what that is. And then there's um, various kinds of volitional actions in the mind. So thoughts, emotions, intentions, things that the mind does. And then there's the knowing all of all of that, the consciousness. So this is a slightly broader scheme, but still um, you know, a set of impersonal qualities that happen. Body minds have a material part, they have feeling, they have perception, they have mental formations, and they have consciousness. Those are the five aggregates. And I just introduced those briefly because that they're referred to in the um, next chariot teaching that we're going to look at now. So I want to show this. Um, this is a little exchange between the nun, Vajira, and Mara, who is a um, kind of the, the force of distraction in the Buddhist teachings. He personifies, um, well, death. That's what his name literally means. But he also personifies our mental qualities of getting distracted and confused and drawn away from wisdom and other things that are useful to us. So let me show you this next sutta. And like the other one, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read it so you can either look on the screen or just listen. So the nun Vajira speaks with Mara. So the setup is that um, it's not on this screen, but the setup is that the nun Vajira, the Pakuni, has uh, gone into the forest after going on alms round, and she's sitting there intending to meditate all afternoon. And um, it says, Mara, desiring to arouse fear, trepidation, and terror in the Bhikkhuni Vajira, desiring to make her fall away from concentration, approached her and addressed her in verse. And this is what he said. By whom has this being been created? Where is the maker of the being? Where has the being arisen? Where does the being cease? So. We could imagine Mara as an actual entity or maybe just her thoughts. So then it occurred to the Bhikkhuni Vajira, who is this? <laughs> she says, she has, the sutta says, she wonders who this is. And then she realizes, oh, this is Mara. And so she replies with the verses that her 
here on the screen. Why now do you assume a being? Mara, is that your speculative view? This is a heap of sheer formations. Here, no being is found. Just as with an assemblage of parts, the word chariot is used. So when the aggregates exist, there is the convention of being. Then Mara, realizing that the Bhikkhuni Vajira knows me, sad and disappointed, disappeared right there. So we have the nun Vajira realizing that what Mara was saying to her was merely deception. It was meant to make her fall away from her concentration. And so she doesn't buy into this question that the uh, Mara asks her, but he asks her kind of a philosophical question, you know, where does the being come from? Who am I? Where have I come from? What is all this about? And she realizes, hmm, I don't need to go there with my mind. And she points out this idea about the chariot. She says, um, why do you assume a being? You know, why do you assume a being? Just as um, with a chariot, there's an assemblage of parts and the, only the whole thing is called a chariot. Uh, she says in the same way, we, there are, she doesn't say there aren't any beings. You know, Go away, Mara, I know I don't exist. She says, I'll, I know that actually uh, it's only just the five aggregates that have come together that we call this thing the being. So a chariot is made of parts that are not a chariot. It's made of wood and you know metal and other things. Um, and in the same way, uh, being is made of material component, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. That's what a being is constituted of. And so um, this is not meant to deny our individuality or say that we don't exist or anything like that, um, but it's meant to take out some of the kind of way that we can get wrapped up in who we are and what it all means and what we're supposed to do. Uh, it can be actually kind of relaxing to just realize, oh, right, this is all these different parts. Uh, if we look carefully, none of them is quite us. Um, together, they're just an assemblage in some ways. So it can actually be you know, relaxing, as I said, to kind of go into that. So we can consider this also in other cases besides the self. Uh, there you know, they talked about a chariot. So we can, there's actually practical applications of this in terms of other objects in our life, you know, our car, or our house. Um, there are only just assemblages of parts. Similarly, mental states can be thought of this way. You know, we can get really um, wrapped up in say sadness or anger, if that's a common one for us, which is fine. But we can realize also that those mental states are themselves kind of assemblages of other things. You know, what is sadness really except certain body sensations, certain thoughts that go with it, maybe a, a mental feeling tone of unpleasant. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's uh, parts to that also. So this is actually getting to be quite a deep teaching is that things in the world are conditioned they're made of components. And when those components are present, we have 
what we call the thing, whether it's a chariot or a being or a house or sadness. And, you know, when there are all the components for it are there, we say it's there. Um, but then in the next moment or sometime later, those, those components shift and we don't have that assemblage anymore. And we maybe don't say that that thing exists anymore. So there's a certain, um, you know, emptiness to things, not in a sense of meaninglessness that can always be created um, as needed. But a lot of Buddhist practice is about looking very carefully at what we really think things are and what we really think experience is made of. Um, sometimes before we've practiced very much, we tend to see our experience as kind of a wash, if you will. It's all just a wash. It's all just happening. And maybe when we first sit down to meditate, there's a feeling like, whoa, there's just kind of everything here. And then a teacher says, well, why don't you check out and see if you can feel your breath? Oh, and you realize, oh, I can. I can, I can pick out my breath from the whole wash of everything that's happening right now. <clears throat> and then they say, well, maybe you should observe your thoughts, um, your feeling tone. There are various things to look at. See your body as elements. Um, so there are other practices that come in where we start looking more carefully, differentiating experience in various useful ways, instead of just seeing it as one big thing. So um, all of this is part of this understanding of, yes, it's a chariot, but it's only called a chariot because it has all these, <clears throat> excuse me, all these parts in a certain arrangement. And it's, it's meant to be liberating you know, to see that there is conditionality to things and that it only happens when the conditions are there and it doesn't happen when they aren't. That helps us also work with our own body, our own mind, and eventually our own death you know, when there's no longer the conditions that will support uh, the maintenance of consciousness, for example. So chariots can be used also in this way to think about quite profound aspects of conditionality and, and not self. I'll pause here and see if there are any questions up to this point. We haven't had any interaction yet. Comments or questions on these assemblages of parts, yeah, Val. I, 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 I've known, you know, these teachings, when it comes to emotions, sometimes I think of them as thought, mental formations. Other times I think of them, that's where they belong, I think. Other times yeah. I think, yeah, okay, that's all. That, that was all. Yeah, although they also have a bodily component. So in the, in the scheme that the, of the five aggregates, I think emotions are a composite object of several different ones, right? They do have a feeling tone to them. Yeah. They are mental formations. They're, they are sankaras created, um, but they, and they also have a bodily component. Most emotions do. So there's something that kind of spans several categories, even though in the Western understanding of the mind, maybe an emotion is a distinct thing, but you know, it's just different ways of dividing up the pie, right? So yeah, they're composite objects uh, in the scheme of the aggregates. That's a great question, thank you.
It also helps us, I think, to know that it's normal that we can divide up experience in different ways, right? There's a, this whole thing, it's an experience, there's a lot going on in a given moment. Um, and how you divide it up is actually significant. Uh, there are ways of um, differentiating and uh, resolving experience into its components that are more or less inclined toward liberation. Uh, and the, I have found the way the Buddha divided it up to be pretty good. I'm not saying that's the only way, but it's, um, it's, it's certainly one that's helpful to start seeing in terms of the aggregates, the elements, some of those lists. They're not arbitrary. They are helpful, helpful schemes for um, seeing the things that we need to see in order to, to release the mind from clinging. Anything else, Johnny? Yeah. Do the aggregates, sorry, uh, do the aggregates apply uh, only to people? They apply to um, living beings. So beings that have uh, what's called name and form, um, body and mind. So yes, uh, animals would also have all five of the aggregates, according to Buddhist understanding. That does require a slightly different understanding of consciousness than um, sometimes people have in the West. But uh, animals surely know, uh, have experiences, know what's happening. So yes. Thank you. Heidi. I don't think I've ever heard Mara identified as death before. Um, I've heard him, you know, like Mara the deceiver. Mm -hmm. But this, could you say a little bit, a little bit more about his identification with death? Sure. Yeah, Thank and you. I was, I'll just add that the suit I just showed on the screen had called him the evil one. You know, that's a little bit. Western maybe to identify him with something like the devil, but um, yeah, he is the deceiver, the one who, but so you asked about death. That's actually literally what Mara means. Um, um, Mara Nasati is mindfulness of death practice. And, um, but I think the reason for that is maybe that um, the final step in, um, dependent origination, you know, the, the process by which we come to suffer is uh, old age and death, aging and death. That's kind of the final step. If we've clung uh, to something and created an identity out of it, it then, and we become born into it, we then have to die. So that's kind of the final fruition, the um, deepest suffering, if you will, is to create something cling to it, create it, make it into an existence. And then when it passes away, there will inevitably be uh, suffering that follows from that in some way. And so um, also clinging or distraction or deception, delusion, all those aspects, other aspects of Mara are what eventually um, keep the mind, now this is getting into Buddhist philosophy, but to keep the mind bound to the cycle of birth and death. So it is said that when we're involved in all those things, 
that is what's going to guarantee that when we literally die from here, we will be reborn again because we're still clinging to something and we come back to another existence. Whereas, of course, the Buddhist path is aiming toward not having another, not having another rebirth, getting off the round, if you will. I don't think it's so important that we buy into all of that in order to do this practice. In fact, it isn't important at all. It doesn't matter at all. But um, um, that would be kind of the larger understanding that the aim of practice is to get off of this, maybe in a more psychological sense. Um, Westerners like to interpret birth and death in a in a more psychological sense. So in that same way, we you know we die through are born and die through many identities in our life, even in a day. And so um, if we see those as actual literal deaths, like it's gone, you know, never get it back and we suffer for that, um, that too is a form that we create suffering for ourselves. Does that help clarify it a bit? Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, so again, we've been sitting for a little while. Um, however, um, this time we'll just take about a five minute stretch and or bio break and then come back and we'll start on the, uh, the third teaching. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.